You're listening to the BH Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, BH has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now, here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. Starting in late 2018, there was chatter in certain photo circles about a new museum or maybe a gallery of some sorts that was rumored to be opening in New York City and it had a weird name, Photografiska. Nebulous advertisements began showing up around the city along with some odd marketing maneuvers, like a black van uh, you would enter to register your physical reaction to pictures. Was the new institution Polish, Hungarian, German? Or like haagen simply a clever branding concept dreamed up in a warehouse in Bayonne, New Jersey? Was it a private museum? And what was it doing in New York, which was already chock full of some of the best photo institutions on this planet? There were many questions, and all were answered in December 2019 at a beautiful building on Park Avenue in Manhattan's Flatiron District. Photographiska opened its doors and started very strong with impressive programming, good reviews, and a bustling cafe and restaurant scene. John visited twice and had a late night scene and a cool vibe in an increasingly enjoyable section of Manhattan. And then the new year came in with a slate of interesting new exhibitions and boom, COVID-19 starts chewing up everything in its path. Well, Photographisco survived an almost six-month shutdown and recently reopened, seemingly more vibrant than ever. And to help relaunch the second coming of Photographisco, we welcome to our show the museum's inaugural director of exhibitions, Amanda Hajar. Prior to Photographiska, Hajar worked at Gagosian Gallery, where she organized more than 50 exhibitions. She's also currently a judge for Photography for Humanity's Global Prize Competition and serves as a juror for the 2020 Capricious Award, the 2020 Aperture Summer Open, and the fourth annual Lucy Book Prize. Amanda is joining us today to talk about this still new museum, about the challenges of the shutdown, and about some really cool shows that are awaiting folks as Photographiska reopens. Amanda, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's terrific uh, having you here. So let me ask, given all the suspense about Photographiska before its initial opening, when were you first aware of its plans to open in New York and how familiar were you with the institution, which unlike haagen is a real deal museum founded in 2010, located in Stockholm. So what, you know, what were your impressions? What did you know about it? Yeah, so I had actually heard about Photographiska when I was working at Gagosian. Um, a few of the Gagosian artists had done shows in Stockholm, like Inez and Venude and Sally Mann. And um, I had gotten to know one of the founders, Jan Broman. And when they were starting to think about opening in New York, they actually came to the gallery and said, you know, to all of the photography liaisons, we're coming to New York. We'd love to work with you in some capacity. And as I learned more and more from Jan, I became very interested in the project and wanted to, you know, learn more, figure out how I could contribute. When did you first hear that they might be coming to New York? That was in 2018, I believe. Oh, so, so pretty quick turnaround then, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And the building was under construction at that point. And the Gagosian Gallery did not necessarily specialize in photography. Uh, were you interested in it? And another thing I'm kind of curious about is coming from a gallery background, which is very different, is commercial. This is about sales, really, okay? Going to a museum. Did you have any kind of a, uh, a, a problem shifting over, you know, in your head from one 
perspective to another? And what about you know, the folks at Photographisca? Did they, you know, ask you about that as well when you guys were doing your little dance for employment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was an artist liaison at Kagosian. So um, my, my role was not primarily a sales role. So I was really working on exhibitions. And one of the artist estates that I was actually working with was the Richard Avedon Foundation. And that's originally how I had met Jan Broman. Um, so I had been working with the foundation for several years at that point. And I had also been working with some actually large scale installation land artists like Michael Heiser, uh, Walter DeMaria, John Chamberlain. And I think that actually the experience of working with these large installations and large sculpture really helped me and my personal perspective of how to install a show that was a little bit more three-dimensional than just hanging photography on the wall. It really taught me how to think about the experience, the visitor experience. Interesting. And, so, and it's a wider kind of experience too, because museums have a very different, when people go into a museum, it's very different than going into a gallery. So it actually probably even gave you more room to play, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially at Photographisco, where we we try not to have white walls. We try to use a lot of color and wallpaper with our exhibition design, interesting fonts. Uh, you know, everything that we do design-wise is there to elevate the art and really enhance the experience. Okay. And and you're able you're able to kind of uh, customize each exhibit in a way that galleries tend not to be able to and, and even more established museums tend not to be able to. I, I imagine that's part of the part of the thrill for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. We tell all of our artists we want this to be a space that's a little bit more comfortable. You know, when you tend to use bright lighting and white walls, it can have that sort of sterile not super welcoming or friendly atmosphere. We we want this to be a, a space to spark conversation and for people to feel comfortable, you know, talking and not being shushed constantly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we even play music in some of the galleries, which can be fun. So, is there a membership? I mean, uh, or uh, um, how, how is the uh, how does photographies go survive? What's what's the engine behind all this? Yeah, so we have a membership, a museum membership, um, and ticket sales to admission into the museum. Um, we are a private museum, so we have private investors. Um, we're, you know, most museums in New York are nonprofits, but we're private. Okay. All right. That's a biggie. Okay. Is the idea of each show kind of looked at to say, okay, how are we going to make a profit off of this individual show? Or is it all kind of coming into a big you know, a big purse, whether that has to be special events or, or dining and, you know, sponsorship, all these things. How's that kind of, what, what's the thought process when you're having a, a meeting and, and thinking about curating? Yeah. So profit is definitely not on the table at the moment. You know, we, we're very much kind of in startup mode. We did this very big, as you can imagine, expensive renovation of a historic landmark building in New York City. It took a lot longer than we all thought it was going to take. Um, but, you know, profit doesn't, it will never dictate how we decide what artists to show. What's really important to us is showing a dynamic mixture 
of photography in the building all at once. So we will never, for example, have a whole building of just fashion photography, super splashy, you know, household name. We want, we want that. Of course we want fashion photography in the building, but we want it alongside fine art conceptual work names that you may not recognize emerging artists, landscape photography. Um, so, so we want it to be that mixture. We want our guests to kind of have those moments of discovery. Um, and, and then we have, you know, private events, like you had mentioned, um, spaces that are available to rent, um, for, you know, a small party, holiday parties, weddings, things like that. Um, and then we have the restaurant as well. Based on what you just said, it sounds like what you're looking to do as far as uh, uh, choices of photographers and what you're exhibiting is not that much different from what you'd be doing at the gallery. Of course, you need some like like a shopping mall needs the anchor stores. You need the big names that bring in the people who have the money and, and make stuff. But you're also at the same time trying to encourage unknown artists to come forward and to be discovered. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and certainly with Photographiska, we want to champion emerging photography um, and I feel more confident in that, um, you know, over the past few months, we did this really wonderful show with Vice Media on emerging new talent to really understand what photographers are doing right now. Um, and yeah, you know, as you said, commercial galleries, they're driven by sales. So it's a little bit of a different sale, you know, strategy. Something I, I wanted to get at, Alan compared you guys to the gallery, but what about to other museums, you know, and what, how do you look at yourselves as different from another museum? I mean, I know there's not a permanent collection, uh, not a research wing necessarily. Is there, Are these things that you may grow into or is that just not in the model at all? Yeah, so it's not in the model at all. We're not a collecting institution. We don't have a permanent collection. Um, and that that's something that we will never have. Again, we try to think a little bit outside the box with our exhibition design. Um, we always try to have programming and exhibition events that are very much tied into the exhibitions that we have on display. So when we're first talking to an artist, for example, we always want them involved in programming that can punctuate the exhibition throughout its duration. So, and we want that to look like more than just a lecture or a panel discussion. That's kind of low hanging fruit for us. That's expected. What else can we do that's maybe a little bit more interesting or off the beaten path? So we've talked a lot about kind of how can we tangentially, you know, in, you know, work with comedians, drag shows, um, performance pieces, concerts, dance, these are all things that, you know, other creative, creative paths that will lead you to this exhibition. The one, the one event I went to, it followed, it was followed with, uh, with a band. It was a jazz band and it was a great band. It wasn't just, you know, often, and I don't want to diss other places, you know, where, <laughs> where they'll, they'll, they'll have a band, but it's not somebody you would otherwise go and see. These were guys that you would want to go to see at a concert venue. And it was just kind of thrown on top of the, of the event. And I thought it was a great way to just wrap things up, give people a chance to talk, hang on a little longer, have a drink, do whatever you wanted to do. And, and it also helps you process 
the show that you have just seen too, because you can talk about it with other people. And, and yeah, and, cool. And, I'm glad you got to see that one. That's great. Yeah, that, that was great. I also wanted to throw in real quickly that you you mentioned the building that you, that you are in now. It's just this gorgeous building. And uh, is there a little history you can tell us about that that space? Yeah, um, the building was built in the 1890s. Uh, it's officially called the Church Missions House, um, and for a very long time, it had charities and nonprofits in there using it as office space. So it was not really a public facing building. It wasn't a place that people would gather, or, you know, really hang out in. Um, the building desperately needed some updating and changes, you know, I think throughout its history being office space, you know, they had put in these weird drop ceilings and things like that. So we, um, we worked with Setra Ruddy, um, which is an architecture firm based downtown in, um, Battery Park. And they came up with this really great design for the space and how we could, you know, we're asking a lot of this historic building and they really did a wonderful job of restoring it to, what it really was, um, and, and making sure that we could use it as a museum in a very respectful way. And I wanted to ask also like in relation to the Stockholm museum and, uh, do you guys kind of follow the same models or is everything more or less similar in terms of how you look to program and how you design the spaces as you're setting up an exhibition? Is that something that followed from, from there? Or yeah. You break your own way a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Um, we are very much in line with our sort of headquarters there in Stockholm. Um, everything from the type of exhibitions we put on, we have some internationally touring exhibitions that may start in New York or start in Stockholm and then travel to the other locations to even the small things like our lighting design is very much from Stockholm. So we, um, they, they've been doing this for 10 years now. So they have a lot of experience and expertise in knowing what works, what doesn't, what kind of looks best. And, and they've done a wonderful job of kind of taking the pretense out of going to a museum and making it a fun, casual experience. Right. Right. Yeah. That's something you do feel. And I, I, with 10 years under their belt, they, they're, finding their success, they're finding their profits. And what, you know, what challenges are you facing in New York that are different? I mean, obviously there, I mean, Stockholm is a wonderful city, but, uh, you know, New York is, I, I still want to say the art and culture capital of the world. So, uh, what do you guys have to face? What are you guys facing that they may not be facing in terms of getting people in the door? Yeah, that's something that we talk about constantly. It was also something that we were very aware of when we opened, you know, Stockholm and New York are very different cities. Stockholm's a lot smaller, Scandinavian, um, New York, like you said, is the art capital of the world. So how do we ask people to come to Fotografiska versus the Met, MoMA, Whitney, you know, these are all wonderful places. And how do you compete even with a landscape in New York that's, there's constantly new things opening, new restaurants, like that vibrancy. And galleries. I mean, you can, there's, you yeah. know, every, every Thursday you can go see, you know, 10 different <laughs> photographers, you know. I mean. Absolutely. So, you know, we just try to kind of tell people who we are, what we're all about. Um, 
showing different types of photography and, you know, kind of all the things that we were just talking about, like taking that, I dare I say like snobbery out of the art world and kind of making it a little bit more accessible and friendly. I wanted to ask a real quick question before we take a break. And, um, and that I guess has to do with a practical thing about COVID, uh, which, which was, did the museums and, you know, get together and kind of make a group decision. I mean, the museums that are uh, in Stockholm and in, in, uh, in Thailand, did, did they close earlier and, and going forward, you know, what, what are the, the changes that you're making in the public spaces and, and how many people are allowed in and, and what are the issues that you're dealing with now? Yeah, absolutely. We were in constant contact with our colleagues in Stockholm and Tallinn, but every country had its own situation and response. Um, so I believe they closed a little bit after us. Um, and then they reopened sooner than we did. Um, we were completely following Cuomo and de Blasio and what their guidelines were for museums. So we thought that we were going to be open at the end of July during phase four, like every other museum thought. And then he Cuomo announced that they would be moving into phase four without museums. So we had hit a bit of a delay there. Um, and then we were finally able to open just a couple of weeks ago on August 28th. So we've modified our hours. We're open Wednesday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., which sounds like long hours, but is actually quite a difference for us. You know, normally we were open 365 days a year. We were open 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. or midnight on the weekends. So we were abbreviating these hours to have Mondays and Tuesdays for our deep cleaning days. Um, we've added a cleaning routine to make sure that all of the spaces, those high touch points are attended to. Everybody must wear a mask. Everybody is taken, their temperature is taken when they come to the building. We're also doing timed tickets to make sure that we're operating at that 25% capacity outlined by the government. All right. Do you need to make appointments or no? You can just show up? Uh, you can buy your ticket online or you can buy it in the museum, but they're all timed. So we know exactly how many people are in the building at one time. Gotcha. And are people returning? How is it looking at this point? Yeah, we we had such a wonderful reopening and it was so great to see our members come back through the doors. And we had a small press preview, which was great to see the press come back out. It was just such a relief to reopen and, you know, have those little signs that New York is getting back on its feet. Right. And are you going to be able to do opening events and things like that? Or is that something that's still kind of put off? Uh, like when you, I, I mean, I guess you're going to reopen some of these shows that, that were, that had opened pre COVID. Will you do an event to, to celebrate that? Or is that not possible at this point? Yeah. So we're having, um, exhibition events, two of the exhibitions that went up right before the closure in March are open right now. That's Julie Blackman fever dreams and, um, our collaboration with vice, which is called new visions. So those will be up until October 18th. And then we've installed three new, completely, completely new exhibitions of Martin Scholler's work, Naima Green and Cooper and Gorfer. 
But you will have an opening party, for example. Do you, will you be doing things like that? So we opened the exhibitions when we reopened the museum a couple weeks ago, and then we're going to be doing their their exhibition events uh, in starting in early October. So those will be up on our website in the next couple weeks. You think you did a good job of softening the blow because obviously it changes the experience. Yeah. So while we were closed, we tried to make the most of it. And like a lot of other places and institutions, we tried to transition what we could to our online platform. So that meant reaching out to our exhibiting artists, asking them, how are they managing through quarantine and COVID? Um, How are they doing with their families at home? You know, the basic things. Um, How is this impacting their lives? And we got some behind the scenes videos. Some artists were working hard on their own art. We asked them to share some of that, what their studio life is like, things like that. Generally speaking, do you think that most of the creative types that you're dealing with took advantage of this new time frame and delved into work? And a lot of people are talking about rediscovering things they're doing, trying new things, uh, a new medium that they haven't tried, or going further in a medium that they already they felt comfortable in. Did you? What was the general feedback you got? Yeah, I think generally we had a lot of artists that were kind of, they were still figuring things out. You know, there was a period of time, I think, when everybody was sort of mentally adjusting to COVID. Oh, early on, um, it was a disaster, sure. Exactly. Um, Tawny Chapman, for example, she was very focused on the safety of her family. Um, she was living, she's living in Texas. She had her mother with her, um, her three kids, and it was okay, how do we keep school going for the kids? How do I keep my mother safe? How do we you know, all of that stuff was very much at the forefront of her mind. And then I think as time went on, people started going back to their creative practice and picking that back up and maybe even starting new bodies of work and things like that. So it was definitely a progression. Okay, we're going to be back with Amanda Hajai after a short break and talk about current and future exhibitions at Photography Ska. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For links to gear and more information on today's guests, check out the show notes in your podcast app or visit our homepage on the B&H Explorer website and join the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook group. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are back. John, you had a question you wanted to ask. (laughs) 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 Right at me. Okay. I kind of wanted to return to some some of the the ideas of, of, you know, what the specialty, if you will, uh, of Photografiska will be because, you know, many museums, photo museums particularly, have a niche. You know, ICP tends to to work with documentary and, and photojournalism. Uh, and the Met, for example, has a great collection of early photography. Um, how are you guys going to like approach a philosophy of curating? Uh, I know you don't have a collection, but we will, you know, how do you blend it? How do you incorporate the many types of photographies that are going to be there? Or is that not even the goal necessarily? 
Yeah, it's actually not the goal. We very much intend on having all different types of photography. There's no unifying theme that we think about when we're when we're talking about what exhibitions will be on at the same time. We always intentionally want them to be very different. Are you going to focus on contemporary work necessarily, or is it possible that you may have a, a show of photography from the 1890s at one point? Yeah, at the moment, we do have more of a focus on contemporary, I would say. Uh, we definitely have more historic shows in the works and that will be planned for the future. It just seems to me that you, that the approach you're taking of being more contemporary makes sense for your whole approach in general. Because you're not at like a museum per se, as you said. You've got a, a commercial aspect about you. You're private. You're owned. You, you are profit-oriented which I, you know, obviously you know, the, the, the past makes a big, big difference and, and has a big bearing on what we do today. But my gut feeling would be that contemporary would be more of a, a, a proper niche for where you're going based on what I understand of you. I would say that we're very relevant oriented. We want to stay relevant. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, we want the work to speak to what's going on in the world. We don't want to be operating in a vacuum. Um, and we definitely want to kind of provoke those new perspectives is one of the things that we always say. We always want people to discover new things, think about social issues in new ways through photography. How many people are involved in the process uh, when you're, when you're sitting down to a planning saying, what are we doing You know, a year from now, two years from now? How many people actually have input as far as uh, the type of photography or the photographers, the artists uh, who are going to be represented uh, uh, or, or shown? Yeah, so we have a committee um, that works on our international schedule and what shows might tour to the other photographiska locations. Um, and then here in New York, we have an exhibitions department, we have a programming department, and we're always thinking about overlap and kind of what that those synergies between the departments, um, our retail space, how everything comes together in the building. So we're a very close and small team and we're always kind of making suggestions and talking with each other and, and making sure we're all aligned. Do you intend to include, you know, mixed media, video, projection, interaction, is interactive work? Is that all part of photography and, and the photographiska view? Absolutely. We currently have an exhibition with Martin Schuller called Death Row Exonerees. And this exhibition is completely AV heavy. It's projection, it's audio. There are no printed images in the exhibition. It's something that we've never done before, um, and it's one of my favorite exhibitions to date. Martin Schuller is a wonderful photographer. Um, some people know his very famous photograph of Colin Kaepernick for the Nike campaign, and for this exhibition, he actually started it over a year ago, interviewing death row exonerees. Um, men and women that were convicted of crimes that they did not commit and were placed on death row. So what he did for this was he filmed um, their portraits in that very up-close style of his, and then he interviewed them. And so overhead, you're hearing their stories and their narrative. It could be anything from the night they were arrested 
the trial, their conviction process, their time on death row and what that was like. Um, and he partnered with Witness to Innocence, which is a nonprofit. Uh, all, all of the members of Witness to Innocence are death row exonerees, the founders, everyone. So their main mission is to abolish the death penalty. You mentioned earlier that during the time of shutdown, not only were we dealing with COVID, but you know the beginning of a, a strong social movement. Um, it seems to me that one of the advantages of, of your model is that is stealth, and that you can swap things out and change things and address the issues that are that are current. Uh, did that come to play during the shutdown when when you know the protests were starting? Did you guys have a conversation? Said, okay, we really need to uh, you know to address this. Definitely. Um, we wanted to give a platform to that conversation. Um, we started photographers on the front lines immediately, which was handing our platform over to photographers that were documenting the protests. We had actually just installed an exhibition on our sixth floor called Roar, which was a exhibition do- devoted to protest photography by three female photographers. Um, it had included Black Lives Matter, but at the time, this was in March, um, we, it was specifically focused on female photographers and the women's march. Um, and so there was some connectivity there, but we also wanted to directly talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. So we did photographers on the front lines. And then we had been in conversations with Martin Schuller about his work and prison reform and social and racial justice in this country. And he said, you know, I'm still in the midst of this project, but I would love to show it as soon as I can. And so we took that action immediately and um, started working with him on that exhibition. In, in a case like this, and it's different, of course, because of the shutdown, but are you got do, do other artists understand that okay if something comes up we may be bumping back your show several months is this something that is is discussed and and talked about and and again is it something that you guys kind of consider part of your process well this was I mean, these are we, extreme situations here i get it yeah but. this was an extreme situation and we would never cavalierly bump somebody's exhibition um what happened during covid put a strain on the exhibition schedule because, you know, a lot of photographers have other things going on in their lives. They have other exhibitions planned. You know, the whole world didn't shut down and then reopen at the same exact time. Um, So some shows that we were planning for this fall or for early next year have become unavailable because they have other plans for them, things like that. Um, so trying to kind of redo our exhibition schedule was a bit of a puzzle. Um, but I think it actually worked out for the best and we're able to adjust accordingly. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'd like to also talk about a little bit of uh, some of the other exhibits, uh, which the, the Cooper and Gorfer looks great. Uh, if you could talk about that and, and, and their work, that would be wonderful. And I'm also very curious if you could describe how it looks within the space that, that it is in, in the museum. Cooper and Gorfer, they're an artistic duo. They actually met in school, um, Nina and Sarah. Uh, they're Austrian and American, and they um, 
for this exhibition, they decided to photograph and document the stories of migrant refugees that ended up living in Sweden. Um, A lot of the women in the portraits had to leave their own countries for a variety of reasons. Some, you know, were coming from areas of civil war or famine, famine or other types of violence were happening. Um, So they made the decision to, or were forced to leave their own country and go to Sweden. And they speak very intimately about what they take with them, both physically and emotionally, what they have to give up and those sacrifices. Um, The portraits are very intricate and beautiful. Cooper and Gorfer, they stage these elaborate scenes with the sitters dressed in beautiful costumes. They have these amazing sets behind them and, and what the sitters are doing in the portraits has a very specific meaning, what they're holding, what they're wearing, the colors they're using. Um, How big are the prints? Can I ask? They're pretty big. (laughs) I mean, it it looks that way. It's hard to tell online, but, you know, it seems that they should be very big anyway. They are very big. You know, we get these dimensions of what sizes artists are printing at and, you know, we do our best to model it and sketch up or on a floor plan. But then when we get, when we got these into our space, we were, they were much bigger than, and they feel bigger than we thought they would. And are you guys involved at at all in in the case, not in this case, I guess, but in others of of the printing of the images? I mean, because they may be shuffling between three different institutions, do you get involved in in that side of it all in the production or is everything brought to you by the artist? No, absolutely. We do the printing um, for our touring exhibitions, especially because, you know, we understand that we can't tie up additioned prints, for example, for two to three years. So for Cooper and Gorfer, as an example, those are all exhibition prints that we manage the printing and the framing of. I see. And and what happens to them afterwards if you don't have a a permanent collection? Typically, they're returned to the artist, or if the artist asks them to be destroyed, we do that. Um, So it just depends on every situation. And you also have a Warhol show up right now, which looks pretty interesting. Or is that not started yet? We have a Warhol online exhibition that went up in June for Pride, um, and that features two different bodies of work. Um, Yeah. Okay, so that's online only. And and can you talk quickly about the Julie Blackman show? We had Julie on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, I know she had a concurrent uh, show running at the uh, Robert Mann Gallery. Uh, well, first of all, is that something that you t- you try to do? Do you try to kind of coordinate with galleries around the city or in other places to co-promote events? Absolutely. You know, New York galleries, there's such a wonderful and vibrant scene of galleries in New York. And we know that collaborating with them is one of the best ways to put on an exhibition. Um, so I approached Robert Mann many months ago and said, you know, we would love to work with Julie Blackman and, and see what's possible. And then he was like, this is great. You know, I would love to do kind of the uptown version to your downtown version. Um, so it's been a wonderful collaboration with the gallery and with Julie. Um, so we have some works from her homegrown series and Robert's got some works in his gallery space uptown 
on view right now. The show in our space is called Fever Dreams. Um, it was curated by my wonderful colleague, Grace Snow. Um, and she worked very closely with Julie to make a selection. And, you know, we painted the walls this really dark, beautiful blue color. We actually installed some faux grass in the in the gallery to kind of make it that outdoor scene that Julie is so known for. The backyard feel, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's a really fun exhibition. And Julie provided us with some audio recordings of kids playing outside, you know, during some of her shoots. So it's oh, actually go. got some audio to it. Oh, that's wonderful. And and do you call yourselves curators? I'm curious. You know, we go back and forth because <laughs> we're really curating these exhibitions with the artists and you know, we're more like a sounding board, if anything else, <laughs> you know, we say to these artists, we want to do, we want to put on the exhibition that they want to put on, you know, that's how we keep the artists engaged. This is really their work. How, you know, and nobody's really interested in my spin on their work. This is really about them. Hmm. I find that that's a pretty good point to kind of reference this idea where you are blending the idea of a gallery uh, with a museum because often museums are a little too staid to, to do that. You know, they, they, they want the artist to hand over the work and then they'll take care of it from there. And, and galleries you know, normally, not always, but normally, you know, work with the, with the artists very closely right. to, to put their vision up. So if that's what you're doing, that's a, that's a wonderful hybrid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's been a great experience and, working with artists is exactly what I want to do. So hmm. well, before we ask about some of the upcoming shows, I, I kind of want to uh, maybe a, a strange question, but what would you consider success for Photographiska looking ahead five years from now, let's say, you know, I think success for us is people feeling welcome and comfortable in our building, having tough discussions, thinking of us, you know, it, there, nothing makes me feel better when we have an artist reach out to us and say, I want to work with you. That really is such wonderful satisfaction to me that says that we're doing something right. Um, and then having wonderful feedback from our visitors. Um, you know, we, in some ways, museums are, you know, very much a reflection of what's going on in society right now. And, you know, we want to be a part of that. We want to be considered, you know, engaged Relevant, and, and thought of, yeah, in that yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. All right. And now I, I hear Photographiska is planning to open museums in other cities. What would, uh, what would the investors behind Photographiska call success in five years? Well, I hope that they would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> still being around, I guess, is number one. Um, having people come through those doors um, and putting on great exhibitions, you know, I have to say, I don't feel huge financial press pressure from our investors in that way, you know? That's good. That's good. So, and, and where are the, the new museums scheduled or is that something that's not, uh, public knowledge yet? We just announced Berlin. So oh, that's wow. on the horizon. Yeah. Okay. That so seems that would like be a natural. Four? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. That seems like a good city for it too. Sure. I have just one last question uh, about what we're talking about with different cities. And obviously New York is not the first, I and mean, it started off in Stockholm. Do you think Photographiska would be different had the original museum opened up in New York? Would it have been, would it have been different than what you have now? I don't know. I mean, this, the founders, Jan and Per Broman, this is really their vision. Um, I think it's, it's so intertwined to their background and their upbringing as well. Their father was in the newspaper business and, you know, Sweden is such a progressive country. I, it's hard to kind of say for sure what it would be like if they had been New Yorkers and living in New York, but I think it's translating extremely well to New York City. And is there, was there a big difference, or is there a big difference if somebody was to go into, uh, say, the, the, your, your photographs in in Stockholm or the one opening up soon in Berlin? Uh, would they notice a big difference as far as uh, I mean, obviously the the buildings themselves would be different, but as far as the type of work that's being shown and the way it's being presented, are are you catering to different audiences and expectations, or are you kind of keeping this global? Yes and no. Um, Cooper and Gore for their exhibition will travel to the other photographiska locations, so that will be like a recognizable kind of, you know exhibition that will move on. Martin Scholler, for example, deals with a, a topic that's very American specific. Martin's a good example of how we are catering to a local audience here. So it's a, so it's a hybrid. You, you have your general, exactly. th- this is who we are, what we do, and then you do little adjustments for wherever you happen to be at that time. Uh, Amanda, can we ask then what are some of the uh, exhibits you're looking forward to I know you're right now just back opening and, and you really need to focus on what's here, but uh, something coming up for 2021 and the next set of exhibits, are you excited for? You know, I think we're just really excited to to reopen. I, I You know, we'll have mm. a great announcement in the next couple of weeks of our next show that's happening in October that will be opening. Um, but, you know, we were only open for 90 days before we had to close <laughs> due to COVID. Right. So we're still we're still very much the new kids on the block, and we're still introducing ourselves to New Yorkers. And I'm just curious about one little thing. Now, obviously, you said you were there 90 days, and you had to just shut down from a brand new thing. Now, sometimes this could be a mixed blessing. Have have you have you and your group taken the time to say, okay, like we need we're in this forced breather? Are there any changes we want to make before we reopen again? Things that we maybe weren't the way we thought they should, we, when we had this idea and we opened up and certain things work and certain things may not work. Did you make any adjustments or tweaks to anything in the facility during this time when you were shut down to maybe kind of address things that you might not have noticed when you were first planning? You know, it's so funny that you asked that because the week that we, we ended up shutting down, I was actually doing a walkthrough thinking about, well, what walls do we need to get rid of here? (laughs) Yeah. 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 What kind of floor plan would be the dream now that I know how people move through the building, you know, New York buildings are so vertical, understanding the flow of people, you know, so we talked a little bit about like, 
oh God, are we really thinking about renovating or something again? These are the only, these are things you don't know until you actually open up and see exactly. what is real. You could plan just so much. And then there's human nature and reality that, so, okay. So you, you were already thinking in that term. Okay. Absolutely. And then COVID also forced us to look online and really build out our website in a more robust way. That was something that we weren't thinking about right away. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, the longer that we're open, we'll, we'll continue to adjust and hopefully learn from what's working and do that better and what's not working and make some changes. Amanda, it was terrific talking with you today. I have not been to Fotografiski yet, but I am certainly looking forward to going down and taking a good look at it. Uh, I, I, again, my, my goal was to be there before COVID-19 hit and to put the kibosh on that one, but I'm looking to uh, uh, seeing what you've got. Uh, if people want to learn a little bit more about the organization and what's happening there, where can they go? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, our website is photographiska.com slash NYC. Uh, you can also check out our Instagram, which is photographiska.ny. Okay. And all of this will be on our show notes. So easy to find if you didn't catch it can here. I just really quickly throw in, wh- where is the, the word from? What is what is the, the basis of the word and, and how did the... <laughs> Photographiska is actually a made-up word. (laughs) (laughs) I was right. (laughs) It is. um, So it doesn't fully translate even in Swedish. Um, Jan and Per made it up way back when. Um, (laughs) You know, photo obviously means, you know, this same word, photo, but the word itself is completely made up. By the way, Kodak was a made-up name also, and it had to do with, it was two syllables, two sounds that stick to your mind, and that's one of the reasons why they stuck with it, but it was a kind of thing that just hangs in your head and is unusual. So that's nothing new, but that's so cool. I love it. (laughs) Great. Great. By the way, for those of you who are trying to figure out how to spell photographiska, here you go, okay? F-O-T-O-G-R-A-F-I-S-K-A. And Amanda, where is Photographiska located in Manhattan? I don't think we've uh, 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 located it yet. Yes, we are located at 281 Park Avenue South. That's Park at 22nd Street. It's a great part of town right now. There's so much going on there. If you would like to be alerted when a new episode of the PH Photography Podcast goes live, all you have to do is subscribe to the show. If you're not yet a subscriber, head on over to wherever you subscribe to podcasts and type B and H Photography Podcast into the search field and you will be instantly family. You can also find us on the B&H Explorer website and on the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook page. For now and forever, my name is Alan Weitz and on behalf of John Harris and Jason Tables, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs> <laughs>